I'm Terry Woods. And I'm Dixie Cooper. And this is Texas Storytellers. And we're brought to you today and every time by Woodlands Online, the Roku station at KVQT21. You can listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google. And I hope you will find a way to listen and to watch. As we talk, to, as we talk today about uh, a book that was written by Todd Nesloni. Now, Todd Nesloni, we told you about him at our, with our last show. He was a uh, teacher and a principal at an elementary school in Navasota, Texas. The, uh, it was Webb Elementary. And he put together a book that has stories in it that are so touching because they are written by teachers. And so you find out about the school, about teaching, and about people in general, just by listening to the stories from Webb. Again, it's by Todd Nesloni. Uh, last time we told you about a book that he wrote called um, When Kids Lead. Oh my gosh. And if you haven't picked it up yet, please go find it. It is an amazing book. This one is just as amazing, but it's got a, more of a human touch to it. And I have enjoyed it so much. I've had my book now for a few years and I keep going back and forth and looking at this story, looking at that story, wondering what this teacher is doing now and wondering what that teacher is doing now. And also remember that this is the second uh, broadcast for us where we are celebrating teachers and saying thank you. This book was actually one of my favorites as far as books about education because it is teachers just writing from their heart. And it's stories about success, stories about failure, about heartbreak, about, about wonderful things that happen. And it's just the truth. So I think that's why it's really one of my favorites about this. And I'm excited that we're doing this one today, too. I, I think one of the coolest things is that it begins with um, praise for the stories in the book. And if you don't mind, I think I'm going to start there. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. one, one of Todd's uh, co-writers in, in another book is Adam DeVico. And this is what he says. So often we read about what could be done in a classroom or what should be done for kids by those who have never been inside the trenches. Stories from Webb turns that trend around by hearing from real teachers dealing with real kids each day. Todd and his staff do an amazing job of being honest and transparent about their successes and mistakes along the way in transforming Webb Elementary to what it is today. From ways to be a voice for students, for fun and practical ideas for your school, you'll find yourself nodding in agreement as you read these personal tales from people like you and me that show the dedication and love in this school. Yeah. Uh I have one too I'd like to share. This was by from Dr. Mary Howard, who is a literacy consultant and author of Good to Great Teaching. 
and she says, stories from the web fills a desperate need we have in education today. To hear the voices of teachers who are in classrooms every day, pouring their hearts into creating a better world for their students. Todd Nisloni is the type of leader I aspire to be and the type that our schools need. He has empowered the staff at Webb Elementary to embody the Kids Deserve It movement and has woven together a beautiful narrative of the hard work, heartbreak, and triumph that comes from keeping students at the core. The stories found on these pages are raw, honest, and uplifting. I believe that, like me, educators everywhere will both laugh and cry as they devour these stories and will walk away feeling affirmed with a renewed sense of empathy for those around us and with an insatiable desire to never stop raising the bar, expanding our own horizons and creating new opportunities for kids. And she really did sum it up there. It's, it's one of the reasons why I liked it so much. You know, especially now, um teaching is always challenging for schools and sometimes schools are are just reorganizing rebranding whatever you're you're going to call that but yeah. right now right this minute every school is going through something they've never seen before you yeah. and a lot of teachers will say well i could do this if i was prepared for it well there's no way you can be prepared for november 2020 um <laughs> and teaching right now is extremely different it is technology based it is um wrought with fear of the unknown and it's a challenge for every teacher even the most seasoned teachers uh, I, have, I, have, I have several teaching friends i was a teacher myself and the ones that are still teaching this year is so stressful for them not only are they having to plan an online schedule, but they still have students coming to school as well. So they're dealing with both curriculums. They're dealing with absenteeism. They're dealing with how do we actually form assessments of these kids. It's just unbelievable what they're going through this year. And so I, this stories may help some of them. And that's why I'm, I'm glad we're, we're spotlighting this book today. You know, not everything that is going on today is um, a challenge. Yes, it, it is a challenge. But I think a lot of it is going to, to remain with us even after 2020 mm -hmm. or 2021, whenever this is over with, because um, technology has been at the forefront of teaching for a long time. And I think we were just kind of like we were right there and we kind of needed that nudge that we give the kids over the fence, if you will. And um, a, a lot of what we're doing, a, a lot of what we're seeing, I know uh, a, a lot of the teaching that I do online or remotely um, has been really good and very effective. And I'm reaching students I never would have reached before. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it, it can be very difficult. Right, right. There's always two sides. Just as difficult as it was for a teacher who is a first year teacher. Uh, Webb seems to be a school that is mostly free and reduced lunch. So that those things are very, very challenging for a socioeconomic uh, group like that. And I think you have a story that you wanna read about a first year teacher. I do. Um, 
let me find my page, page 37. Yes, we're, we were going to share some of these stories. And this was one that I related to really well because uh, she starts her class in the middle of the school year. And my very first teaching position, I had to do the same thing. <clears throat> and it's very difficult to do that. In my situation, I, I was teaching kindergarten and I went in the week before the Christmas parties. And I was also teaching at two different schools. I would teach a morning class at one in the afternoon and the other. So I had to learn with two principals, two groups of, of teachers, two separate economic groups from the two different neighborhoods that I was teaching in. It was, and I'm brand new, so <laughs> this was quite a challenge. And I really related to this one here. This was written, um, make sure I'm on the right page. Yes, by Lauren Melgrew. And, and she says, due to graduating in December and coming in mid-year, my first year teaching wasn't even a whole year. I only got six months to make a difference in my third graders' lives. The teacher before me was moving away, and needless to say, coming in mid-year wasn't anything like I had imagined my first teaching job would be. It was hard and honestly downright brutal. The kids were hurting from their previous teacher leaving. They had a hard time accepting me into their lives and trusting that I wasn't going to just leave them as well. I can remember after being there only two weeks, a couple of my students came up and sit to me and asked, so when are you gonna go back to where you came from? It stopped me dead in my tracks. My heart was broken. And I finally realized people leaving them was their normal. I grabbed them from both in, I grabbed them both in for a hug and told them I wasn't leaving. I was there to stay with them, and that was the day that I finally seen progress and that their first acceptance of me into their lives. As the weeks went on, state test prep began and lessons got harder, which meant tensions rose and buttons were being pushed daily. The kids were being challenged and asked to do things that they honestly had no clue how to do. Their behaviors were beginning to challenge me and test me in ways I had never dreamed of being tested before. I can't even begin to count the days that I would end up driving home crying and wondering what it would take for me to get through to my students or what it would take for them to trust me. It began to break me. There were many nights I told my husband that I didn't think I was cut out for this job here in Navasota, but nonetheless, the next morning I would wake up and go do it all again, praying it'd be a better day. I knew these kids needed me as their teacher and for some of their parental influence. Fast forward to the end of the year and the students could sense that the year was coming to an end, which brought on a whole new set of behavior setting in. They were stressed and nervous for their routines to change. Some were worried because they knew that their guaranteed two meals a day from school were going to be gone. And they would have to live with just eating one meal a day. And for some, it brought up the question again of, so you going back to where you came from? Or the other popular one, are you just going to leave us like the other ones do? My heart broke into a million pieces hearing those questions. Those poor babies weren't supposed to have to worry about these things. They should be able to be happy, carefree kids. 
This is when I knew that no matter how hard, long, and brutal those past six months had been, I knew this was where I was supposed to be. I had to come back next year. Those kids needed me and that I really didn't, really didn't want to leave them. Summer flew by and by the beginning of the very next year here, before, I, before excuse me, summer flew by and the beginning of the very next year was here before I knew it. I was so nervous since it was my first day, first day of school with brand new kids that would be all mine from day one. Mm. I moved down to second grade that year, so I was worried my previous kids would think I had in fact left them and went back to where I came from. <clears throat> it was the complete opposite thought, though. My student that came, gave me the most trouble ended up coming into my classroom on the first day of school and said, you didn't leave. You actually stayed. It brought tears to my eyes as she gave me a hug, apologized for all the trouble she had given me, and promised to be good for her new fourth grade teacher. Those kids from my first year of teaching are some that I will never forget. They changed my life and helped me form me into the teacher that I am today. All of those tears, stress, and hard times were worth it. We teach because we want to change the lives of kids and make a difference to them, but we stay because of how they transform our lives each and every day. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. And you know, I guess that you and I have had long careers, so I guess that's why we've stayed. That is exactly why. Uh, the kids, well, it's not the salary, for sure. <laughs> so, exactly, it is, is the, the ones that you reach, it's the ones that really do seem, you seem to have made a difference in their lives. And sometimes you don't know that right away. It can take even a year or two down the line before you realize that you've made a difference. Mm -hmm. And even on occasion, I learned later on, I made a difference in a parent's life from something I may have said about their child or intervened in some way. So there's a lot of positive things and that's what keeps you going. You're exactly right. There's a, another uh, kudo, if you will, from um, Alan Boyko. He's the president of Scholastic Book Fairs. Now every teacher knows what a Scholastic Book Fair is. Stories from Webb is a love story from educators who care deeply for the education, health, and well-being of each and every one of the children in their charge. It's also a candid look inside an elementary school where there are no limits placed on growth. At Webb, students, teachers, and administrators are working together, learning, and growing every day. That's just amazing. And, and that's what every school should be, and I'm sure a lot are. Yes, I'm sure a lot are too. I don't know any teacher in my realm of experience who didn't want to do a good job who wasn't there because they were in favor for kids they were there to work for them and did their their very best it's just can be an overwhelming job at times and very difficult and i'm not sure everyone outside of teaching understands how difficult it can be um and so uh with this, it reaffirms, though, that yes, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm doing this for. 
and hopefully I, that I, my presence will make a difference here. I think that's absolutely true. I know, you know, every day that I, I'm in education, I learn something new. Um, yeah, this year has been quite challenging, but I'm still learning something new every day. And not just about me, but about kids in general. Um, I guess I, I'm kind of thinking about uh, a young lady who came into my classroom uh, just the other day, and uh, she was taking the third test in a series of four GED tests. She'd passed two, and she really wanted to pass this one as well. So um, she came in, and her and I have been, I've been her teacher, she's been my student, but we hadn't met because we've been on a Zoom class since August, since September, I guess. I guess it's since September. It's forever, what it feels like, so yeah. <laughs> I know, but I think that's when she, when I got to her and she got to me, it was about September and she was so excited. And she, at first she was very, very worried that this is something she would never, ever achieve. Okay. So she took her third test in the classroom in person that was skeptical enough for her, uh, uh, but she was able to do that. And she found out pretty quickly because it's computer-based test that she did pass. And oh my goodness, it's like all of her intrepidation, all of her worry has gone away. And she says, I have one left and then I can go to college. I have one left. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a super, super story. And she's a lovely young lady who just kind of got twisted around a little bit. Right. And now she's so, back on track. Um, I was telling you before, part of my teaching career was helping um, parenting teenagers graduate from high school. It was a state-sponsored program for that. One of my students with that was a young lady who had a baby in her junior year of high school, but she was the best student and she desperately wanted to graduate from high school and worked so hard, but she had a lot of family influence for her not to come back that she should stay home with the baby. And there was just a lot of pressure on her to do that. She didn't come back that semester that she had the baby. But then the fall came, class started. I also taught parenting classes as part of this program. She showed up in parenting class and I've never been so excited in my whole life. I mean, I could have done a backflip. I think I may have been able to do it. And. Uh, <laughs> I was so happy to see her and she did end up graduating from high school and she was the first in her family to ever graduate from high school. Oh and after her, her siblings started to graduate and I've often wondered what happened to her, but it was, I just, you can see it just brings joy to me to, to think about that, you know, that, that, that program really helped this girl. And I'm, I have a feeling she really went ahead and maybe did go to college. I, I probably she wanted to anyway. Well, that just shows, how good of a teacher you are too to have influenced her in that way that that's just tremendous and you know maybe as i'm thinking about it maybe it's time to update stories from web and uh, put together stories from teachers maybe some of our teacher listeners will get together and do that share it with us sometime 
that would be oh it'd be great cool. yes i mean we all you and i just shared some of our personal stories and mm -hmm. every teacher has them oh and they are, yeah every one of them so <laughs> right so that'd be great okay i have my turn my turn okay. i have a story from chapter four it's called two words now this is a short chapter because it, it just has a couple of stories in it it says i'm sorry two words shouldn't they be easy to say as educators we teach children every day how and when to apologize as adults we don't always practice what we preach back when i was a classroom teacher there were many times i had to apologize to my students when i taught a lesson wrong when i got upset and yelled when i wasn't as prepared as i should have been there were also times when i had to apologize to parents as a campus leader apologizing is part of the job description i don't mind apologizing it isn't always easy but it's necessary what i truly dislike is apologizing a lot in a short amount of time that's when i feel like i'm failing at one thing after another some days it feels like there's nothing but apologies leaving my mouth and you know the interesting thing is dixie it's okay to apologize to your to your students it's okay to say oh my gosh look what i did with that math problem it's perfectly okay it is part of the job well we're human yeah that's before we're teachers we're human beings that's the right. problem and the funny thing about being a leader many times we have to apologize and bear the repercussions of decisions that we didn't actually make sometimes i apologize for screw-ups i had nothing to do with because they came up they came up from my campus where i was in charge and in the end that falls on me <laughs> yep everything's been oh. in that situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the moment of swallowing my pride. It's the moment of putting myself and my emotions on the back burner. It's also a chance to see the bigger picture and understand that a leader takes a hit for the betterment of the team. And you know what? The craziest things happen when we apologize. I once took the fall for a decision a grade level team had made. And at a concert event later in the week, a parent came up to me and said, thank you. Know how refreshing it is for someone to say thank you when something like that happens? The parent went on. It is to know that someone in the leadership position will actually accept blame and apologize. There are days when we need to apologize for poor decisions or last minute judgment calls that didn't quite pan out or failing to keep the lines of communication open and it isn't just at work we also end up apologizing to our friends and family we apologize for getting upset for being too sarcastic and for speaking before we stop and think apology after apology some days are indeed full of them you know apologizing it is a necessary thing in life i suppose but um 
my 18-year-old granddaughter often says to me, Grandma, maybe you apologize too much. <laughs> Wisdom of an 18-year-old. Could well, that's the, sometimes that's true though. Sometimes we do apologize a little too much. And, and there's a couple of questions in the book. This, this, this uh, author has a, a knack, if you will, mm -hmm. for asking questions outside the box. Is there something you need to apologize to someone for? Why do you find it so difficult? That's a very profound question. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. A couple of people came to my mind right away, but I won't share them. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is that the, that the best leaders are the ones who show their human side. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know that, well, you probably do too. Uh, for the, all the years I've been teaching, I've come across many leaders and, well, many administrators. Many, luckily, were leaders, too. And, yeah, when they show their human side, they're showing their worth, too. At least that's what I think. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, yes. One of the best principals I ever worked for was just like that. She was very much a leader. And we wouldn't ever cross her, but she was also our friend and a human. And unfortunately, she passed away about a year ago, and we hadn't worked for her in years, but there's several of us that still wanted to go to her funeral because she had been such a wow. profound influence for us. Wow. So, so do you have something else you want to read? Um, <clears throat> yes, this is called Scars, and it's, it's a little lengthy, but I'm going to read part of it anyway. Um, this was written by the author on an experience he had about how how long words can stick with you and he says sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me i've heard that old saying my entire life but i've never understood its value if there's one thing i'm sure of it's that words do hurt Writing has always been a cathartic experience for me. It affords me the opportunity to communicate my thoughts much more clearly than if I were to express them verbally. It helps me to express what I know many will understand, that I am not perfect. I have never claimed to be someone who has, has it all together. Thanks to my personality type, I never feel as if I'm worthy of the recognition I've received for what I've accomplished. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying the good work that I have been a part of. I'm just saying I've never quite felt like I got it right. I'm also intensely reflective, always seeking feedback, wanting input, and identifying ways to improve. Teachers are in a profession that allows for constant criticism. You all know what I'm talking about. That student who says you suck at life. The parent who says you don't know what you're doing and the college <clears throat> the colleague who complains about everything and the administrator who makes you feel worthless. But sometimes you get positive feedback. Maybe a caring coworker shares ideas and resources to help you improve your lessons. Or maybe a parent takes you aside to say thank you for doing a fantastic job. Those moments, those words put gas in our tanks. They help us keep pushing along when the nights can feel so dark. Then, thanks to bad timing, we are once again bombarded by the negative. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. 
I'm not just complaining and kids deserve it. I wrote about someone with whom I used to work, someone who left our team under very dark circumstances. After leaving, this person bombarded me constantly through social media, email, and texting about how I was a terrible person, how I clearly wasn't a Christian, how I do nothing right, and how I was only placed here to ruin lives. It brought back memories of being in high school, being a student who never got in trouble, and one day being called to the office. I had run for student council representative my freshman and sophomore year and had been elected both years. So in my junior year, I decided to run for student council president. All three years running, I had used the exact slogan, a slogan that my sarcastic yet creative mother came up with. And what was that slogan? Don't get your panties in a wad, vote for Todd. Now I know what you might be thinking. Yes, it wasn't the most appropriate slogan, but my mom loved to push boundaries. Now I guess you can see where I get that from. Like I said, I'd used that slogan my freshman year, my sophomore year, and then my junior year. And the day of the election, I remember very vividly, I might add, getting called down to the principal's office. The speeches and election were to take place in 30 minutes, so I wasn't sure what I was being called down. I remember walking into the principal's office to see the principal seated at his desk and one of his assistant principals standing next to him. The moment I sat, their words washed over me like a tidal wave. You, young man, must think you're pretty funny. I wasn't sure what they were talking about, so I sat there in shock knowing I had never been in the principal's office for anything. And then he said, we're here about your campaign slogan. You teenagers always think you're so hilarious and you come up with these idiotic ideas. So tell us, why did you come up with something as inappropriate as that? As I sat there, the only response I could think of, um, I didn't come up with it. My mom did. And then I sat there as I was told, you son are a loser and this school doesn't or need leaders like you. You will never be a leader in this school, ever. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, what was happening. I couldn't believe the things they were saying to me. Up until this time, an adult had never spoken to me like that, especially an adult who I viewed as someone I should respect. And then I was told that I was to go back to class. The speech and the voting would be delayed by an hour so they could mark my name off every ballot. I would not be allowed to explain why it was happening, but I was to be present in the room when the voting and speeches commenced. I was stumbled back into my class trying to comprehend what happened. I remember sitting in the gymnasium an hour later. My friends were around me asking me what happened and I couldn't even speak. And after the voting took place, as the students were finding their way back to class, I walked over to a school payphone, called my mother, and told her to pick me up immediately. Oh, my goodness. What a story. Mm. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to hear what was going to happen next. That What a story that was. It is. It's an amazing story. It just breaks your heart. You can... You know, you say this to a somebody who has a tendency to question themselves anyway, and this this has stuck with him, you know, and he's now very successful, but this still is in his thoughts, in his mind. And 
you know, that could have been handled a, a lot better. <laughs> a lot, I think it was the principles in this point that were a little bit inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Uh, well, some of those words would not be said today, that's for, that's for sure. Mm. But I, I thought that was an exciting story. Um, well, it, teach, it taught him to, I think maybe this negative experience helped him become who he is when he was seeing that good leaders and those that are positive are, are greatly needed and that students do need to hear good things about themselves. And some of the things he's implemented in his, that he tells about in all his books, I think maybe come out of experiences like this. So there's always can be something positive out of something negative. I, that's for absolutely sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that that story a lot. I have another one. Um, it's in the it's in the section called "It's Not the Kids." Oh my goodness! Then what is it? This is by Jane Brewer. Um, she is a teacher, and she is a, a specialist. She is called. Um, math interventionist. So this math interventionist uh, is there to help the teachers more, the students too, but she's basically there to help the teachers with strategies to help the, the students. So um, this is what she says. It's not the kids. You read that and maybe you thought, nope, it's the parents. Or maybe, no, it's the administration. Maybe you didn't think anything at all. But stop a minute and consider something. Maybe it's you. Now, now you're thinking, what? Of all the books in the world, this is not the one that should have teacher blaming in it. But hear me out. In more than 20 years in education, I have taught a, a, a lot of different subjects in a lot of different places. For some people, there are no descriptions, only roads. And I seem to be one of those people. I have taught elementary music, elementary math, elementary self-contained, and worked as an interventionalist. I have taught secondary reading, social studies, science, ESL, and been an instructional coach. I have taught in the suburbs, in the inner city, in the country, and in the Middle East. My students have been poor, rich, middle-class, Christian, Muslim, black, white, Hispanic, and Asian. They have ranged in age from four to 16. And I have made a discovery. There are certain things my students do, no matter where I go or what I teach. There are ways they react to me, regardless of economic level or culture. There are challenges I consistently have in my classroom, regardless of content. That tells me they are my challenges, because the one constant in all those experiences is me, she says. My classroom is noisy. I pass it off as the sound of learning. And well, in 85% 85, 85 of the time, that's exactly what it is. But my students talk. A silent classroom is not something I have ever achieved. And I always feel sorry for the students who need to learn in silence because 
I have no idea how to get them there. My lines are never straight. I try, folks. I really do. But I've never quite seen the point of control for the sake of control. My lines are quiet when there's a reason to be quiet. Others are learning around them, and I don't let students take up the entire hallway. But a straight line has never been a point of pride or contention for me, so I rarely have one. Students take advantage of me. I'm a real believer in second chances, people changing, especially children, and all that stuff. A lot of the time I'm right. A lot of the time I'm wrong. And someone usually says to me, I would have never trusted John. But how does Johnny get a chance to, to show he's changed unless someone trusts him? So I get betrayed a lot. But the point of this writing is not the betrayal of my failures, or close to that. The point is that this happens no matter what I am teaching, whom I am teaching, or where in the world I am. I say again, the one constant is me. People, the one constant is you. I am uniquely qualified to know that whatever deficiencies there are in my teaching, they're my deficiency. It's, it is most definitely not the kids. What an admission that is. Yeah. Yes, it really is. She's, that was a good story. Very good. It, it goes on to say, we are the one constant in our lives. I, this might be Todd. Um, we, walk in, we walk in each day and decide what we're going to say, how we're going to teach, the expectations we're going to hold on to. I challenge you to look inward the next time you have one of those frustrating moments every other moment in 2020 where you just want to blame your students. Take a breath. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Let's stop blaming our children and instead look at ourselves. Let's find ways to motivate, be different, and create the school where every child can thrive. I love that word. And here's his things to consider. Write about a time when you blamed others, although blame really fell on you. I guess that's what Jane Brewer did. How do you deal with those on your campus or team who always blame the children or always blame the parents? If you do write about it, share it with us, would you? Yeah, that would, those stories would be interesting. It would be, wouldn't it? it would, yes, it would. And like I said, maybe it's time to update this book a little bit and write some stories for today. Really? Tales from 2020. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a book for sure. It, it would be. It would be quite, quite a book or an addendum. It, it would absolutely be. There are many schools all over the country and, and even and especially here in Texas, I think, that are um, changing for the better because of, of things that have, been, that have been thrown at them and they've had to handle and handled it well. Well, 
I've often thought myself too that we have so much technology at our disposal these days. And that I often thought a lot of it could be used in education to make some very good um, improvements. And that maybe this year has forced the use of, of a lot of media and maybe by the end of it, we will come out with something new that, that does improve and the use of uh, with students that really could benefit from it. Yeah. Um, even when classrooms are opened up again. And I, this- I can uh, remember, oh, I don't know. I guess it's like the uh, beginnings of technology when technology was just a baby in a classroom. And I thought it was a truly, truly exciting time. And I wanted to find ways to, to use as much as I could. Um, when I lived in Southwest Houston, where uh, we, we are in uh, close to the Woodlands, Conroe, Huntsville area right now. Um, but when I lived in Southwest uh, Texas and um, was teaching in a very progressive place, we had, um, were they Apple IIEs? I think that's what they were. I was teaching, I was teaching ESL, which was a, a, a very new, very, very new concept. And most of my students were um, of Asian descent in, in, in some way. And um, we had, we had a ball. They, they, uh, they really grabbed onto a lot of English because of everything that we had inside the classroom. I can even remember one little girl who um, didn't speak any, any English whatsoever. I had third, fourth, and fifth grade together. And so I, once they finished with third grade, I went with them to fourth grade. So I had these kids for two years. So I saw them when they didn't speak English at all. And I saw them when they mostly spoke English, which was really cool. And um, this one little girl, the first year she was here in, in the country, she would go home and cry a lot and she'd get sick a lot. Well, we never, we never figured it out until the second year she was with us. It was when she went to the cafeteria that she was the saddest, which doesn't make any sense because kids love the cafeteria. But she was from a place other than here. And for her, the food was just terrible and it made her sick. But she couldn't communicate that until she got really advanced. And uh, it was the second year when she could tell us that. <laughs> that, that, same, uh, that same group of kids uh, a couple of them, in fact, it was two of them, were tested, was tested for uh, gifted. I really had to push for that. And uh, they were one of the first gifted by gifted ESL students that uh, there were. And uh, they made tremendous strides in English and education, which was really cool. Right, yeah. That poor girl, just to say, she wasn't alone. She's not the only person who had problems with the cafeteria foods. <laughs> yeah, it's true too. <laughs> it's like, try to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> but it was so she couldn't say, hey, the food is just making me ill. Oh, that was, that's quite a story. But yeah. it has a happy ending. And, and I'm glad they finally got the recognized as being as intelligent as they were. Yeah, it was, that was a special time. Um, it was a really special time. I have a picture of, of 
all of my kids sitting around me. My hair is like up to here <laughs> because it was the times. But um, I guess we could go on and tell stories about teachers and teaching all day. But um, I, I want to thank Tad, Todd Nesloni again for his books and the advantages that, that uh, they have for teachers, parents, grandparents who are, have become teachers helpers. Um, pick up a book, Stories from Web. You'll find some uh, familiarity that may help you or you just may enjoy. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Great book. Thank you, Mr. Nesloni. And um, I do want to say thank you to the teachers out there and the parent helpers and the kids. Thank you to all of you for doing the work that you're doing and progressing as much as you are. If you've got a story to share with us, contact us. I'm yes, Terry Woods. Mm -hmm. And I'm Dixie Cooper. And this is Texas Storytellers. Until next time. Mm -hmm.